0: Rule. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Ronnie, Rodney, thanks so much for sitting down with us today. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those of our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with Folia, can you start by telling us a little bit about the company, the product, the types of customers that you serve?
1: Sure. I think that might be, at this point, a lot of your customers. Um, so Folia is two years old. It's spun out of our previous business and kind of came to fruition right around the time I was thinking of moving to Indiana. So... Um, it's inception story, uh, grows from a lot of changing things happening in my life and, uh, and our small team. Um, but at a high level, what folia is, is a software company. Uh, we help regulated industry customers solve a really important pain point. Basically, as you progress in your profession, you do less and less document creation. And so what I mean by that is, if you're a a senior manager at a bank or an executive vice president at a hedge fund, you're likely not going to Microsoft Word and creating a new document or crafting something new in PowerPoint. Most of your work product is giving feedback to others and capturing insights. And when you're doing that work, invariably people hit the print button. Um, And the reason is because pen and paper is just such a natural way to just mark up documents. And so we saw that pain point with our previous business and recognized that there was an opportunity for someone to create a cross-platform, cross-document format, uh, security-first annotation solution. Um, it's a lot of words, maybe even a lot of buzzwords, um, but, but that's what Folia is. So what it does is it helps regulated industry customers and beyond um, capture insights and share them securely.
0: Okay. That's really cool. Well, you've alluded to multiple pieces of the story along yeah. the way, so I want to go dig into that sure. a it. little bit. So this Op not your first rodeo an right. entrepreneur, you started another co- uh, company that you co-founded for Inspire in Chicago 12 years ago. So tell us a little bit about that and what got you here to Indiana.
1: Yeah, so maybe we need to take an even bigger step back to answer that question. So I, I went to IU, uh, studied computer science, cognitive science. Like a lot of disillusioned souls, I went to law school yeah. and became a lawyer, went to Washington, St. Louis, and then I practiced for a short bit and then worked as a communication strategy consultant on high stakes jury trials. So typically $100 million or more at stake. And we're watching folks behind one way mirrors uh, advising on storytelling, presentation strategy, a bunch of different things. Branch Fire and some of the software products that we worked on in like 2010, 2011 timeframe grew out of that um, consulting work. And I started the company with a couple of IU guys, actually, uh, Steve Hockman, Jim Brink, who I went to school with. So there was a moment where we even thought in 2011, maybe we would do this in Bloomington. I even remember coming down at one point and checking it out. I'm like, oh, is, is there a thing? And at the time, you know, the mill didn't exist. Uh, there wasn't really much of an in infrastructure, at least one that we could perceive. And so we did it in Like a lot of what I have come to find Midwest Midwestern software companies that succeeded, we were bootstrapped. And the goal for us was within the first quarter becoming cash flow positive. And so everything we built was in the footprint of a of a small, you know, Not hugely growing, but growing cash flow positive software company. And we did a bunch of different things. All kind of maybe circling around mobile app development. That was maybe the central theme. This was the early days of the iPhone, the iPad. A lot of productivity tools uh, did well. And then we also built a lot of b 2 b to b tech like software development kits Mm -hmm. and APIs that other software companies could 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 consume. And then we did our fair amount of custom development as well. So Mm -hmm. it was a a multi-pronged approach and a lot of different apps, a lot of software products, but it was great, great fun.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay, so you go through that experience and then you finally do come to Bloomington. So tell me more about that. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, so that was tricky. We... I think this had maybe a four to five year kind of prehistory. So uh, we had started thinking about what eventually has become Folia a while back. We also had this thought of maybe having a small software development team sitting in Bloomington. I was working with some folks in cognitive science here, uh, saw what was happening with Luddy. Yeah. Thinking it was maybe viable. And so even before the pandemic, we had that thought. Then during the pandemic, um, there's two things that were happening. One was we were going through a major restructuring and exit with our core business. And I was thinking about the startup. And at the same time, I visited Bloomington. It's pandemic times in Chicago. Um, you know, I mean, it was out like, you know prison lockdown or anything like that but with two little kids it, it it definitely felt stifling at times and got to check the mill out here saw that there actually was a community and ecosystem and so all of this is happening and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about it and actually michael angelier from tech point cole emails me or i can sends me like a thing on linkedin which is like are you thinking about moving to indiana I was like, but what kind of dark art data analytics do you folks subscribe to? That's craziness. Um, So I don't know if they are just like contacting everyone. This is my thought process, but I was like, I had to get on the phone with these folks. And so I remember talking to Mike and Jordan, uh, and it it was great. You know, they were fantastic connectors for us. So within, I think, a week, we had met the the folks at IEDC. You know, we had a, a, a nice, you know quick meeting with the governor's office. We got hooked up with the BEDC, the Bloomington counterpart to the IEDC, Mm -hmm. um, the mill, you know, a bunch of community here. And so I always tell people, it's like, there's a huge amount of ground game with, with this team to be able to do that, that quickly. And so that built a ton of confidence. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you yeah, know, the rest of it was a leap of faith. but Less of a leap of faith with w- w- after seeing all that infrastructure. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. I, I love the story. You really are the poster child of all of that work um, the TechPoint's been doing to try to find companies like it. I'm so glad it landed and worked for you. <laughs> well,
1: it's nice of you to say. I'm not sure I'm the poster child. I think there's a bunch of other folks that are that are reaping this benefit as well. But maybe I'm the the, the latest chapter in a uh, hopefully a long story. So,
0: it. That's awesome. Um, so you've been here for two years now. What's the difference between starting a company in Chicago, start starting it here in Indiana? What's your experience been like?
1: So I'll give you two contradictory answers to that because that's what I'm really good at. Good. The, the first answer is it's very different, right? Because you're in a place which is smaller. Um, I would say it's more close knit. That sounds like a cliche, trite thing to say. But it's true. Like right now, we could pause camera and go over and bother Pat or Jason Whitney and ask a question. We didn't quite have that sort of maybe low latency bothering people in in, in Chicago, which which is nice. You know, candidly, because the community is young, there are a lot of maybe gaps in knowledge. But the nice thing about that, the, the positive of that is... Yeah, you get to share knowledge, and knowledge is much more appreciated when someone has it. There's obviously, um, I think, more of a collaborative spirit as well. And because the community is so young and so early, the wins are really celebrated. So, so, so that's been fun. And then being in a college town, that that's also very unique. It's a it's a totally different vibe, a very different feeling because. There's a lot of basic research and academic work that's happening right around here. And a lot of academics end up making it here as as entrepreneurs. Uh, so, So that's been really cool. The contradictory answer is I don't think it matters where in the world you are. And I think in 2023, that's kind of the moment we're in because our customers are everywhere we can no longer say, oh, we're an Indiana software company, therefore, yada, 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 we're just a software company. And so we have customers in Europe, Asia, Australia, you name it, and they're expecting the same level of service, whether we were based in Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Indiana. And so I think the, the onus is on all of us now to think really broadly about what those standards are to be as competitive, as urgent, mm-hmm. um, as annoying at times as our counterparts in larger cities, because ultimately we're competing with them. So.
0: That's really well said. And I love both both truths of that. That's um, oh, <laughs> no, great. Uh, you alluded to this. You're in a college town. Yeah. And uh, in one of the nation's happy universities, obviously the London South, I'm oh. curious about what, what are you finding? What can you take advantage of here being a part of the system?
1: you know. I mean there's obviously a tremendous amount most large public universities are especially the United States are, are just absolutely hidden gems because by virtue of the way funding happens by virtue of their mandate to provide you know, college education for a lot of folks in state there are all these little tiny hidden gems of academic programs like the cognitive science program at IU is among the best in the world you know it's hard to imagine that happening at a small private school so so those things are are absolutely delightful so you know you can cut through campus catch a lecture that you hadn't planned to to attend um you know the, there's a obviously fantastic music school here so from arts and entertainment if we want to use that kind of lofty phrase uh you know there's a bunch of things to to consume but the other thing is i i think Overall, academics maybe are a little less urgent than the rest of the world. Um, You know, they're willing to grab a cup of coffee at 1030 in the morning and talk about the meaning of meeting, which is fantastic, I think, as a kind of counterway to the urgency I was describing a moment ago in terms of like, we just have to always be on, on, on. um. And so Bloomington, I think, has this vibe that is both serious and global, but also, Maybe just a little bit laid back and cerebral, which is kind of nice. That, that's been really fun for us.
0: Cool mix. Yeah, yeah. we can see why that's attractive. Um, I, sticking on the kind of theme of connectivity, mm-hmm. I, you've wasted no time getting involved with in the community here. You're on the board at the Dimension Mill, you're on the board at Tide Point. Yeah. Wasn't those relationships and those networks um, provided for you? How's it impacted your product, your customer base, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's been fantastic. I mean, well, I mean, TechPoint, I felt like, my goodness, I got to get involved after, you know, you guys basically helped me land softly uh, in Indiana. So that was, that was fantastic. Taking TechPoint specifically first, obviously the reach is statewide, but the team has been really good at connecting with resources, even out of state. And I think it's been, it's been good to cross-pollinate best practices, to cross-pollinate like wins and good stories um i think there's a tendency for cynics and critics and pessimists and the people who typically sit at the back of the bus snarking at everyone else which i am one of those folks um to find it all just a little bit syrupy um too frothy too positive but then when you take a step back and you realize what 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 the intent behind all of that was right to connect um but not only to connect, to embolden some of the people that might not have been willing to take the risk before, to see some of the positives. I think it's a it's a huge community benefit. And, you know, for us, it's also been a great source for meeting people, right? So, I mean, we're a growing software company. We want to meet, um, you know, if I can use the, the cliche word, you know, talent. But but what I specifically mean is, that, you know, teammates who can elevate our game, who have skills that are in our blind spot today. So, so that's been great. And the mill locally has been, you know, a fantastic counterpart. Um, you know, it grew up as a as a co working facility. You're talking to Pat and Jason earlier, so they probably did a better job describing, you know, the vision and and the intent behind it. But I think unlike a lot of co working facilities, it's it's certainly not just a co working facility. There's there's quite a bit of programming and a bunch of other things happening. And the team here has been really successful at spreading wide initially and now focusing more deeply on the things that that have actually you know produce yields board fruit, that kind of thing so it's been great
0: awesome i'm so glad as someone who's has to observe you in that board meeting setting i'm delighted by the perspective and the challenge that you bring
1: It's <laughs> oh, so, that's nice of you to say true yeah more uh like what's this critical guy talking about uh, yeah.
0: we yeah. need that we need that perspective um well, it would not be a technology interview in 2023 if I didn't somehow bring up AI. So I'm going to, and at, mostly from a curiosity about as as you think as a founder and new technology like AI comes out, how do you evaluate that, and how do you decide what's relevant to your product and will help support what you're trying to do?
1: Oh, I'm really glad you asked that question. I I have a very particular lens on this, which is I think we've all gone. Rather far in the buzzword direction, and, and and what what it's done is it's caused most people to think they have nothing to do in it. This is for the the you know the engineers and the technophiles who know quite a bit about what AI is doing, and for the rest of us, it's just let's take a back seat and see what happens. And I think the opportunity is to be much more interactive mm-hmm. um, than that. You know, as a software company, so many of the others have said this much better than I'm about to say it, but everyone will have cell opportunity to use it, right? So, so we're almost flipping the question, where can we use it? Um, for each different feature we're building, is there an AI component to it? Especially with some of these large language models that are really good at writing well-crafted prose that I think most people appreciate. There's so many opportunities in that machine-human interface to make humans just a little bit easier to understand, a little bit more flexible more fluid but beyond that we have another project uh, that we've been working on called red lab um, which is a partnership between us the mill um, iu ventures luddy and the goal there is to kind of act as a heat sink for not just academics but people in the community who have really good ideas that have something to do with ai but with a particular ethos in mind The whole goal in my mind is to build tools that increase the mechanical advantage, like the lever arm of the humans that are operating it. And what I see in the world, as I look out and look at a lot of software companies, is this desire to obviate the need for the human, right? Just to be like, well, we don't need humans for these things anymore. We could just have the machine do it. And not only does it not work like that, both from a training perspective and building some of these models, I think that's super not the goal. Mm. So both because I think that's been a central theme at Luddy and Cognitive Science here at IU, because that's so much a part of some of the software companies that are growing here. Mm. Our focus with Red Lab is really to help these early stage companies that are software companies, they have some sort of an AI focused, get through those first steps and kind of walk them through The the steps of formation, but keeping in mind this ethos of making things better for humans. And that seems like a very robotic way of describing what I'm trying to get at. But the intent is super clear in my mind, which is that at the end of the day, we are not trying to displace everyone in the world. I don't even think that's even possible. But even if it were, that's obviously not the project. The project is to delight, to elevate. And there's so many different places where each of us is trying to constantly upskill, learn a new craft, Mm -hmm. get better at something. Those are the goals. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Seguing from that with as much chatter as there is in the marketplace and Mm -hmm. for people out there, your customers even who are trying to process these emerging technologies and what it means to them. What is your role in educating them on that? And how do you want them to interact with your product in new ways?
1: Yeah, I mean, for customers, we don't want them to think about AI at all. Um, you know, and I and I think if you gave them the choice of interacting with a human being who is bright and interested and maybe a little quirky. Versus a great AI system. They're going to pick a human every day of the week. And so, in terms of this layered cake, we're often thinking about how do you put AI under the human interface rather than on top of it? Because for most people in the world, they just want to use things that work. They want to have an experience that's great. I think we saw this with big data. We've seen this with cloud computing. We're seeing it now with AI that because a lot of software companies are constantly in the cycle of raising capital and talking to VCs and thinking and working with insiders, that they describe an in- insider kind of ACAC buzzword language to their customers in a way that their customers don't care about, right? No customer I've ever met cares about big data, AI, cloud computing, none of it, right? Um, what they want is a product that works. And so I think the goal of, for all of us really in tech is not just to demystify it, but to completely remove that. Because the mm-hmm. whole point is, this is just another tool in our tool bag. To
0: mm-hmm. I love that. I love uh, the customer that it eases my fears. You know, love <laughs> that, 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 that way of thinking about it.
1: And yeah, the robots are going to take over a little
0: bit. Totally, yeah. We should all be, be, be terrified. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, as we wrap up here, last question I have for you. is uh-huh. An opportunity to give this, some advice um, to other startup founders in your shoes and people who might already be here in Indiana or who might be considering making a move here. What would you say to them, and what resources would you particularly highlight?
1: Yeah, I think it it, it depends. For a very early-stage founder who's, like, maybe thinking about it, hasn't yet done it, I would say, I, again, I love contrarian advice. So think about what would have happened if you had just kept your good-paying job and never lose track of that, it out both economically for your family from a net-worth perspective and use that as a constant A-B test. I think what happens for a lot of early stage founders is you do meet some encouraging people and there's a lot of high fives. I'm a co-founder of a business now, but that in and of itself isn't going to carry you home anywhere, both financially and in terms of impact. Um, so I think a lot of people are gonna have more impact staying at their job. Again, I thought a contrarian advice. Uh, than they are doing doing the startup. But if you did do the startup, and I think you probably should if you're watching things like this on YouTube, then <laughs> you should do it just in the same way that you're a great teammate at a larger business. So I think there's too much of this like prognosticating um, and building castles in the cloud without any foundation. And what happens is you might raise a little bit of capital You might have a kick-ass pitch deck, if I can say that. But at the end of the day, the reality on the ground may not have changed. And instead, what I tell people all the time is just to build something. If you're a baker, bake cookies. Hand them out to people. See if they're delighted when they eat them. Um, The reason for that is, at the end of the day, that's the thing that's going to draw you in. That's the thing that's going to addict you. None of this other stuff is going to work. For people who are a little later stage, I think, especially with an Indiana focus, uh, what I would say is I would ask everyone to revisit all the assumptions around when you need to raise, why you need to raise, and who you're raising for, and to think at every moment in time, is there a way of doing the next stage of our business more organically without taking the outside capital? And I'm not saying that from the perspective of, you know, venture capital is, is, is bad or it's not, you know, an important objective collectively to build more uh, capital capacity in central Indiana. I, I think those are all very laudable goals. But for the individual entrepreneur, you're running one company. For a venture capitalist, there may be betting on 20 companies. And betting on yourself is a very different exercise than betting on other people, and the moment the reality is lost I and mean, your boots are not on the ground anymore, I think scary things happen. That's obviously colored by my background, which is in bootstrapping for a number of years. This current company is venture backed, but we definitely do things quite a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Long no, answer, no, a very short no, question. Sorry about no, that. No, that was
0: great. And really great advice. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us and which I can.